RUF. Like I say every week, RUF is a place where you're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And at the same time, you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And what that means is that we believe fundamentally the way that we relate to God is based on his grace. That is his kindness towards us. Um, And that's what RUF is all about. So uh, this this week, we are kind of kicking off our semester. Um, If you saw in the group chat, uh, we're calling this Thursday Night Fellowship. Now, um, we're, we just thought maybe we should change the name. I don't know. Give it, give it a shot. So it's kind of the same thing that we've been doing in the past, but we're a little bit more on the nose with the name. It's Thursday night, and we're having fellowship. So uh, we're doing something a little different also this semester. So we're going to be doing, for the next two weeks, we're meeting in this room. Uh, we're meeting in this room every time we have Thursday night fellowship this semester, which is really nice. Uh, so for the next two weeks, we'll be in here, and then after that, it's going to be every other week of the semester. So we'll, we'll be very explicit about announcements on that uh, in the group meet. Just wanted to put that on your radar. And on those off weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing things like Friday Chili, which is a thing that people tend to like around here. And we're going to do other sorts of events like Tables of Four and things like that. So uh, functionally, we're going to be doing a lot of different large groups. This is just kind of one expression of that. So we'll be doing Thursday Night Fellowship, or we're going to be doing some sort of social thing. There's going to be one kind of large group gathering for RUF per week. So just wanted to put that on your radar. Uh, But as we have done kind of every uh, semester in RUF, we kind of teach through a portion of the Bible. So this week, or this semester, we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs. Uh, And the book of Proverbs, if you're unfamiliar with it, it's in the Old Testament. And it's essentially kind of geared at this question. Uh, how can we live faithfully in the gray areas of life? How can we live faithfully in the gray areas of life? Uh, And we're calling this series The Way of Wisdom. Uh, What does it look like to walk with wisdom in the midst of uh, the areas of life that don't seem to be, it doesn't seem to be obvious what the right answer is? Uh, For instance, questions like, uh, is it wise for me to be dating right now? Um, Or should I take this job or that one? Or should I live with this person who's my friend or not? Uh, Should I have just said that? Do I need to confront this person or do I need to just be silent and forgive them? You see, these are the sort of questions that the book of Proverbs was written to address. And so we're going to consider throughout the semester a whole bunch of different topics. We're going to look at friendship, work, laughter, decisions, self-control, and even just how we use our words. So each week we're going to consider a different one of those topics. Uh, So tonight, I just want to kind of set the stage for us, and we're going to be looking at Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, so you can click that next one. Thank you, Maggie, you're good. Um, So we're going to be looking at Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, and we're just going to ask two pretty straightforward questions. Uh, You can follow along on your handout there, too. Uh, What is wisdom, and how do we get it? So what is wisdom, and how do we get it? So I'm going to read the passage for us, pray, and then we can get started. So... uh, Let's look at this passage of Scripture, starting in verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray together. 
Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, the opportunity to come together at the beginning of a semester. Uh, Lord, I um, know there's a lot of kind of hopes for what this semester could be in this room, um, and there might be a lot of uh, feelings of being overwhelmed from taking a look at the, uh, the syllabus and not really knowing when stuff is going to get done. Uh, and so, Lord, I pray that you would meet us where we are this week, uh, that you would meet us um, in, yeah, just this exact moment. Uh, Lord, your word says that uh, anxiety in our hearts weighs us down, but a good word makes us glad. And so I pray that, um, yeah, in, in a small way or in a large way, that uh, what we talk about tonight would be a good word uh, that brings light into our lives. Um, and all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so like I said, two questions. What is wisdom and how do we get it? So first, let's consider what is wisdom. So if you look there at verse 1, it um, starts out and says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So uh, who was Solomon? Uh, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, Solomon was a pretty prominent figure. Uh, he was, of course, as it says, the son of David, and he was a king of Israel. Uh, but he wasn't just any king of Israel, God's, uh, God's people at the time. Um, he was an extremely good king. Like if you're looking at kind of all of the kings of the Old Testament Israel, you know, David and Solomon are probably like, you know, goat and goat junior on some level. Like they're both, they're both very good, both very renowned. Uh, and Solomon in particular was known for being wise. He was known for being wise, for possessing wisdom. And we know this, um, that it kind of came to him through this interaction that he had with God. First uh, Kings 3 tells us this story. Um, God comes to King Solomon in a dream, kind of early on in his reign. And he says to Solomon, he essentially gives him a blank check and says, ask whatever you want and I will give it to you. Like, can you imagine God saying that to you? Like, anything you want, I will give it to you. And what Solomon asks for is wisdom. He asks to be wise. He asks to be able to know right from wrong. And so the question needs to be asked, so Solomon is the king of Israel. They have the Old Testament. He has the Ten Commandments. He has the law of God. Like, it's clear what is right and what is wrong to Solomon. So why does he need to ask for wisdom? Why does he need to ask for discretion, uh, for the ability to kind of see between right and wrong. Well, I don't think it's because he thinks that the Bible is not clear on what's true. Um, what Solomon is asking for, he, he's, he's basically saying this. Yes, of course, there are clear moral absolutes, right? The Bible says do not murder. That means don't murder, right? But the question is, how do you apply things like that to the gray areas of life? What does the Bible have to say about uh, whether or not I should drop a class, what does the Bible have to say about whether or not I should add a class? What does it have to say about whether I have too many involvements that I just need to drop one? Does it, what does it say about whether the person that I'm dating um, is going to be a good match for me? Right? These sorts of things are, are not explicitly stated in Scripture. So what we need is wisdom to be able to navigate that space. We need wisdom for the gray areas. Because if you're, if you're anything like me, if you've had kind of interactions or you've had um, situations that pop up in your life where maybe you have three options and all three are good, or maybe you've had three options and all of them are terrible, like what is a faithful person supposed to do in that situation? 
That's why we need wisdom. We need wisdom to navigate the gray areas. And Solomon kind of describes what this wisdom looks like throughout verses 2 through 5. He says in verse 2 that this wisdom can be instruction, right? Like it can be teaching. Uh, He says later on in verse 2 that it can be words of insight. So somebody's saying something short that's just really insightful. Uh, Wisdom can be prudence. See this in verse 4. Knowledge and discretion. And it can be guidance. Uh, Wisdom can look like teaching. It can look like kind of sage counsel from a friend. Uh, It could be kind of like a short saying, something like, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Uh, It can be like a comparison. It can be a riddle. It can be a story. That's what wisdom like can look like. But who is wisdom for? Um, He says in uh, verse four, he says that wisdom is for the simple. Wisdom is for the simple. It's to give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth. Uh, What he means by the simple is people who just don't know. They don't know anything. It might be, um, if you're imagining like this in a Christian context, the simple might be someone who is a very young Christian. They have no idea what to do. They don't know how to kind of determine what's right and what's wrong. So, but that sort of person, wisdom is accessible to them. And the same wisdom is accessible for the youth. That is for people who don't have the benefit of life's experience. And then he says that wisdom is also accessible for the wise. People who actually are, are already have wisdom there's still something that wisdom can give them. So kind of in summary, what he's saying about wisdom is that it is accessible to everyone. It has an extremely wide open door, but it's also inexhaustible. It's also inexhaustible. It's not something that you could just like figure out wisdom and you're like, check, I got it, we're fine. Uh, There's always going to be more. There's always going to be ways that you can grow in wisdom. Okay, so we've considered a little bit about you know, Solomon and his asking for wisdom, uh, all of the various things that Solomon described wisdom as, um, then who he said it's for. But the original question, right, is what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Well, we can kind of uh, gather from all of this that wisdom is this. Wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. It's skill in the art of godly living. And this is what the book of Proverbs aims to instill in us. The book of Proverbs aims to instill this this skill. It's meant to shape our gut such that you're the kind of person who enters into the gray areas of life, who enters into the places in life where, where you don't really know what the clear answer is and is still able to remain faithful to God and is able to make decisions that are reflective of who God is and what his character is. So wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. But second, let's consider, how do we get wisdom? How do we get wisdom? Uh, Verse 7 kind of points us in the right direction. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Uh, The word knowledge there, it's kind of used throughout the Proverbs as a synonym for wisdom. And it will later say in the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the question is, what does it mean to fear the Lord? If that's the beginning, if that's the starting point of wisdom, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Um, what do you think when you hear that? Like if you're, if you're anything like me, when I hear uh, fear the Lord, I tend to think of just like being afraid or of uh, something kind of like cowering, like your knees are knocking, you know, you've got like a knot in your stomach. It, it carries kind of a connotation of authority, right, of just being scared, 
that, you know, maybe the other shoe is going to drop, right? Like your boss is going to find out what you did and you're going to be in trouble. Like that's what I think when I hear fear the Lord. Um, that is not what the Bible means when it's talking about fearing the Lord. Uh, and the best way that I can kind of point this out, uh, Exodus chapter 20 um, has this really amazing verse that I think kind of uh, opens this up for us. Exodus twenty twenty says this, says, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. So the context of this is Moses just coming down off of the mountain with the Ten Commandments, and there's been all sorts of crazy things going, up on, going on on the top of the mountain. Uh, he has just received the law from God, and from the people down at the base of the mountain, it looks like there is like a tornado storm that's like smoking, and there's fire and all sorts of stuff going on, like, like a really scary situation. Moses comes down to the bottom of the mountain to the people and says, do not fear. He says, don't be afraid. But he says also that he wants the fear of God to be instilled in them. So don't be afraid so that you can fear. So this tells us that the fear of God is not the same thing as just being afraid. It's not the same thing as being afraid. But what positively is it? The word for fear here, right, fear of the Lord, it means something closer to, to wonder, to awe, to reverence. If I had to sum it up, I'd say it's like a loving reverence. To fear the Lord, it means to have a loving reverence for him. So how can we fear the Lord and become people who are skilled in the art of godly living? I think there's a couple ways that I can think of. I have them listed there on your handout. Uh, Just kind of three ways. The first thing is we need to acknowledge that we're living in God's universe. We acknowledge that we're living in God's universe Uh, To begin to fear the Lord is to say that every square inch of this world belongs to him, including the gray areas. So it's not as if we can live in this space where there are certain things that, like, Scripture applies to and there are certain things that it just doesn't. Um, Just because, like, the Bible doesn't say anything specifically about technology doesn't mean that it doesn't have things to say about technology. It just means we need to have wisdom to know how to apply it. Every square inch, including technology, including dating, including friendship, is under the reign of God. It all belongs to him. Uh, Theologians kind of in the Middle Ages would use this term. They would say that all of life is quorum deo, which means before the face of God. And I think that captures this sense of kind of the fear of the Lord. It, It means acknowledging that every single thing that we do, every single thing that we do is before God's face that it belongs to him. Um, think about it this way. So uh, if you've seen uh, the Harry Potter movies, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, Hagrid becomes the, uh, I can't even remember, like magical creatures professor or something like that. Um, is that right? Yeah. Okay, we're going to go with that. So, uh, you know, first day of class, he brings them out into the woods, and there's this creature, and it's a really imposing-looking creature called a hippogriff. I think it's like a horse and eagle and something combined. I probably should have done more research before I told the story, <laughs> but uh, that ship has sailed. Um, but the first thing that, that Hagrid says, like, you know, he's acknowledging this is an intimidating and honestly dangerous creature. But he says, the thing you need to know about hippogriffs is that they are proud creatures. They're proud creatures. So in order to approach one, what you need to do is you need to bow. And you need to wait for them to bow. And then they'll start to approach and you can approach. See, that's, that's the first rule of approaching a hippogriff. It's, it's the beginning. 
To do otherwise, it's to put yourself in danger, as we see in the movie when Draco Malfoy tries to approach and he gets his arm broken. See, I think in the same way, what we're seeing here is that the fear of the Lord, it's this first and abiding principle that we must embrace if we don't want to do harm to ourselves and to others. If we don't fear the Lord, if we don't have loving reverence for God, we're going against the grain of the universe because God is the one who made it. The universe belongs to God. So first, we need to acknowledge that we're living in God's universe. And second, we need to search out our functional fears. So we just said that the fear of the Lord needs to be the foundation, like God needs to be the center point of our lives. But if you're anything like me, uh, that doesn't feel like your reality. Uh, Maybe I'll put it like this. Uh, The reason that I, like when I'm in a traffic jam, that I like say a lot of cuss words is not because I fear the Lord in the deepest places. (laughs) What is the thing that I love in that moment that leads me to acting that way? It's not the Lord. You see, the thing that I love in that moment is probably something like productivity or being able to get things, you know, done according to schedule the way that I want to. And so the reason that I get so mad in situations like that is because I'm not able to get the thing that I really think I need in order to be okay. That's why I get mad. That's the thing. I, 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 fear, I fear other things. I have loving reverence for other things. See, we fear the wrong thing. It's why we live foolishly. Uh, it's why in seminary I let uh, one of my neighbors call me by the wrong name for three years. I went by Dave for three years. For three years because what, what did I love? I loved comfort and I loved avoiding conflict more than I loved being known. I was willing to sacrifice that. But see, what is it for you? What is it for you? What, what is the thing that you love? What is the thing that you, that you fear, this functional fear that you have? And, and where does it leave you? Uh, maybe for you, it's, it's something like romance. Um, you have this kind of fantasy of being in a relationship with someone who is going to see you and love you and be there for you in every single way. And where does that leave you? Oftentimes, it leaves you making it really hard to find someone. It makes it really hard for you to be able to be yourself. And it probably means that you're going to end up going towards someone who doesn't actually know you. You might end up laying down your life for someone who doesn't really care anything about you. It won't work. Or maybe maybe the kind of main thing in your life, the thing that you fear that you, that you have this loving reverence for is academic success. So that means that you're probably going to be sacrificing your, your spiritual health, your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health, and you're going to be on a fast track to burnout. You see, we need to search out these functional fears. What is it for you? What is the thing that leads you to live the way that you are? What is the thing that makes life feel so unsustainable for you? So we search out our functional fears. And then third and finally, we pursue the fear of the Lord and grow in wisdom. So we've seen that uh, it's easy for us to have other things that kind of are in the place of God. So how in the world do we cultivate this fear of the Lord? How do we cultivate the fear of the Lord? In order to embrace the fear of the Lord from the heart, we need to know what it is that God has done for us. We need to know who he actually is. Uh, In the New Testament, in the book of Colossians, it says, All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. 
Uh, when we look at Jesus, we see that Jesus is wisdom personified. If wisdom is skill in the art of godly living, then Jesus could teach a master class on it. Every single thing that he did was wise. The way that he interacted with people, he was perfectly faithful in the confusing ways of relating to people. In, in the moments where like, someone in your family says something that's horribly offensive to you, like, Jesus experienced that and responded in perfect wisdom. So we need to see Jesus. We should look at Jesus and we should marvel at his wisdom. And not only that, we should look at Jesus and we should try to be like him. But oftentimes that's where we that's kind of where we stop. We say, well, Jesus is wise, um, so I should be amazed at that and I should try to be like that. The end. But what I want to suggest to you is that if that's where we stop, that's going to leave us in despair. It's going to crush us. Because if all I have is Jesus as a teacher and Jesus as an example, then it's just going to, I'm eventually going to get to a point where I'm like, I can never be as wise as Jesus. It's as if I came up and told you, you know, I want you to become the best shooter in the world and like basketball shooter. And I give you, yeah, sorry, let's just be clear. <laughs> and I give you, and I give you a, uh, I give you like Steph Curry videos to watch. And you watch Steph Curry shooting videos, basketball shooting videos. <laughs> Be clear, for like 10 hours. Eventually, you're going to come to a point where maybe you start to figure out your technique a little bit, but you're just going to come to a point where you're like, I am not Steph Curry, and I never will be Steph Curry, so why should I try? And I think when we look at Jesus only as a teacher, only as an example, it leaves us in the same spot. So what do we do? What do we do in order to become wise, like in a real way, to become actually wise, to grow in skill in the art of godly living. We need to not only see that Jesus was wisdom personified, but that he himself was treated like a fool for us. We need to see that Jesus became our foolishness. Jesus was the embodiment of wisdom, and yet he was mocked like a fool. I mean, think about it, like in the, in the crucifixion narrative, uh, Jesus wore a crown of thorns, that was supposed to mock him. They put a robe on him and they put this, this thing over him when he died that said king of the Jews. And it was a joke, right? They're like, look at this king of the Jews. He's suffering and dying like a fool. But what we see at the cross, we, we see what looks like foolishness is actually God's wisdom. It is God redeeming us. In his suffering, Jesus became a fool, not as an example primarily, but as our substitute. He did this to take the penalty of our foolishness so that we can live before God as wise people. And the more and more that that sinks in, the more and more that we gaze at Jesus and, and don't just see someone who's wise and think how, how amazing that is, but see someone who is wise, who became a fool for us. The more that we understand that, the more that we can become people who are actually skilled in the art of godly living. Because Jesus became a fool for us. Let's pray.